You think you know it. Hello, and welcome to my podcast. This will be a platform where I speak of mainstream films, shows, games, and more. The purpose of this venture is to expand one's understanding of such things, delve deeper as to why certain characters, movies, shows appeal to us, and how we resonate with them. Join me as I go along this journey. Each episode will focus on a specific film, trilogy, franchise, series, event, etc. The very first episode, I will be focusing on the beauty of the very first Spider-Man trilogy, the Sam Raimi trilogy, and explain why it's beautiful and arguably the best superhero trilogy. And again, I state arguably, it's not meant to prove a point, it's meant to elaborate on my point of view. Now, Spider-Man is arguably the most popular superhero of all time, thanks to unprecedented comic book achievements through Stan Lee all the way to, yes, J.J. Abrams, yes, who is a working director who directed movies such as Star Wars, etc. And he co-wrote a recent Spider-Man comic with his own son. So that's every son's dream right there. Now, Spider-Man the movie, the very first one that everyone thinks about, is the Tobey Maguire starring movie. And it came out around 2002, and that movie sent shockwaves through Hollywood and the industry. Now, before that movie, there were a few superhero films that kind of took Hollywood by storm. Batman in 1989, which was a grand success, and then Batman Returns, which was also a success critically, but financially it wasn't, followed by two mediocre Batman movies, and one of them pretty much destroyed the superhero genre. Then Blade comes out that showcases a different take on superhero films with the uber-gratuitous violence, as well as the great action set pieces, and the interesting direction of a Marvel film. Following that, I should say, was the very first X-Men film would change the genre forever because the opening of that film showed a very serious tone to a comic book film, which hasn't been seen at that point for 20, my apologies, 11 years. I was going hyperbole. I'll deal with it. As you go along with me, you'll see I'm probably going to make a few mistakes here and there. But then again, I'm trying to be honest and I'm, I'm, I'm sick of stopping, of stopping the recording so I can do it over and over. So I'm just going to go raw. <laughs> so, Spider-Man came out in 2002, and it starred Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Rosemary Harris, and the one and only Willem Dafoe. This movie was everything a comic book movie should aspire to be. This movie showcased humanity, campiness, great action, iconography with the visual of Spider-Man, and moreover, it was a great movie just for the sake of being a great movie. Sam Raimi, the director, knew how to make a good comic book movie because he chose to make a human story. You see, when it comes to comic book movies, people are always talking about spectacle, the action, the dramatic twists here and there. But more so than anything, they always associate superior films with popcorn, as in they're just popcorn films. You go to the theater, you eat your popcorn, and you watch them, and that's that. There's nothing more to them. There's nothing less. It's just the way it is. And the way I dispute that is you need to watch all the superior films because some of them, rightfully so, are maybe popcorn. A lot of them are not. Some of them are very thought-provoking and challenging. And Spider-Man was one of those challenging ones. And it came out in 2002 where people had no idea what to expect. They just saw a Spider-Man trailer and they all went crazy. And so the movie opens with one of the most exciting opening intros ever and one of the most, most amazing scores any composer has ever composed by the one only Danny Elfman. 
And to this day, that, that soundtrack sticks with me and is so impactful 18 years later. Now, the, the first dialogue of the film is Peter Parker stating who he is. He's Peter Parker, and he's pretty much in love with the girl next door, who is Mary Jane. Now, it's evident that in the first five minutes of the film, you understand who is who. Peter Parker is the nerd that gets left by the school bus. He sees his ultimate crush, Mary Jane, who is the girl next door, and she and he sees her with the school bully, which is a typical school trope. That's nothing new. What's interesting about this film is that it challenges every aspect of itself. There's the family dynamic of Uncle Ben and Peter Parker, where Peter Parker is going through changes as he's becoming an adult and Uncle Ben is starting to notice. Mary Jane is trying to figure out who she is and she doesn't know and she feels ashamed as they all graduate high school. She starts a, a job as a waitress and she is not proud of it, so she hides it. So there is a character arc right there about insecurities and hiding in plain sight as she pretends to be glorified and she lives a great life. In reality, she has a troubled home life and she has a minimum wage job. Peter Parker is dealing with all these changes as he gets bitten by the spider, but there, all these changes are allegories for growing up. They're not changes into, into a more metamorphosis of, oh my God, I'm gonna be a hero. They're changes about humanity, about growing up, about making mistakes. And the biggest mistake he makes is his argument with Uncle Ben. As Uncle Ben is trying to be there for him and trying to showcase to him that it's okay to make mistakes, but be accountable, be responsible, because that's how you become an adult. And the most iconic line is, with great power comes great responsibility. And they have an argument where Peter loudly states that Ben is not his father. And he says it in a disrespectful manner because Peter, at this point, he's driven by his own selfish needs rather than prioritize the responsibility that he is owed, or should I say that he owes. Thus, after certain selfish choices, certain selfish motivations, Uncle Ben is shot and he's dead in the street. And Peter Parker then again is driven by a selfish need for revenge. But he realizes that afterwards that it wasn't the right thing it was selfish so the reason i'm bringing up this idea of what a selfish behavior is because it's a very human behavior and it's something that is not really associated with a lot of superhero flicks and especially in today's pop culture so it's all one selfish choice after another that accumulates in terrible decisions and there's a lesson learned and thus he decides to create the Spider-Man suit, a proper one, and he chooses to be Spider-Man and save the citizens of New York. And speaking of the citizens of New York, in this film, they are citizens, they are people. You hear them, you feel them, you see how vibrant the colors are. That's what a great movie does. It creates an atmosphere like no other, and New York felt like New York, and Spider-Man felt like one of the New Yorkers. Or should I say, felt like a New Yorker. And that's what makes another element that makes this movie exciting to watch. Uh, I could talk all day about the direction, the cinematography and stuff like that. And they're all exceptional and they showcase wonderful color palettes and wonderful moods and swings and all that stuff. But I'm going to talk about more so about one particular aspect and that is responsibility. And I'm going to focus on the very first film here. And that is throughout the entire film, Peter Parker, all he's ever wanted was to be with Mary Jane Watson. She is his ultimate crush. She's practically in love with her. And he's wanted to be with her from the very, from the get go, from the very beginning. 
And by the end of it, as he's come to terms with the fact that he is Spider-Man, it's his curse, it's his gift, it's his responsibility. He is Spider-Man. And by the end of it, he rejects Mary Jane's love, where she finally comes to terms that she loves Peter Parker. He rejects that love because he has to be responsible. To contrast that with him rejecting Uncle Ben's love because he was selfish and it led to drastic decisions, this time he rejects love for the right reasons, that is to be heroic and to keep her out of harm's way. And that's a character evolution right there. And I will echo the point of being selfish to being selfless, more so not just with Spider-Man's character, but with the Osborns. The villain of the very first movie is the Green Goblin, Norman Osborn, and his son, Nor uh, Harry Osborn, has been on a quest to f basically hunt down Spider-Man for the murder of, of Norman. And Harry Osborn in the third movie is after Spider-Man for Revenge. Now, the idea about Norman Osborn's death, Norman Osborn died because of his own selfish choice to kill Peter instead of trying to make things right. He uh, activates his glider. Peter gets out of the way. The glider kills Norman. So it's pretty much suicide or unintentional suicide. And then the third movie, as Harry accepts the truth that Spider-Man is not to be blamed, Peter is not to be blamed, Harry Osborn decides to die by saving Spider-Man. So the selfish choice that ended up killing Norman Osborn was the same choice, but it was selfless. You know, Norman died because Spider-Man jumped out of the way. Harry died because he jumped in the way to save Spider-Man. So there's a beautiful contrast here that, in my opinion, echoes the idea of a selfish behavior versus selfless behavior that Peter displayed in the very first film. Now we get to probably the best film in this, in this trilogy and arguably one of the top five comic book movies of all time, Spider-Man 2. Spider-Man 2 is the ultimate battle of psychology and internal pressure. The film showcases in the very first 20 minutes, Peter Parker is trying to be a good person. He's trying to be friends with Harry and Mary Jane. He's trying to be a good friend to them. But... His obligations as Spider-Man is taking his toll, and he's not being a good friend at all. He has no idea what they're doing with their lives, nor does he show much interest in the way he should. Mary Jane is still upset, and rightfully so, as he rejected her love without giving her the best explanation. He just did it. So in this film, she is dating a very successful astronaut, and Peter is jealous, and he has no right to be, because... You, you made your bed, now you lay in it. And everything that goes right for Peter ruins Spider-Man. Everything goes right for Spider-Man ruins Peter Parker. MJ has a play and Peter misses it because he's out saving kids and he's stopping criminals. Peter decides to go eat at a diner with MJ or goes here. Someone's in danger and he has to go be Spider-Man or he neglects it, which means he's not responsible. And... One of the most beautiful sceneries of this whole trilogy is when in Spider-Man 2, Peter has this, and I call it come to Jesus moment. These are the big turning moments. And he replays that scenario with Uncle Ben in the very first movie, but he does it in a different way, where Uncle Ben says, take my hand, except that you're Spider-Man, and he says, no, no more. So Peter gives up the suit that says to be Peter Parker, not Spider-Man. And 
he starts living the life. He starts seeing MJ more. He goes to classes, all A's, perfect student. But what happens? Guilty conscience grows. Visual, visual fears are shown. He starts helping people even. He saved that little kid from a burning building. And, but then he tries to be Spider-Man again, but he lost his powers. So does that mean that it's done? It's too late? You know, is it all about wish fulfillment or is something deeper in turn? So then as Mary Jane is the damsel in distress and she's taken by Dr. Octavius, who's a superb villain played by Alfred Molini. Wonderful, wonderful. So Alfred Molina, I think. I might apologize if I mispronounced the name. And what a wonderful performance in that character. Peter Parker emerges out of the rubble with powers back again as Spider-Man. Now as a kid, my first thought was, oh, he's probably just got the powers back because he realizes he's accepting his love for Mary Jane. But as I got older and I started becoming an adult and understanding storytelling and parallels and contrast and juxtaposition, etc., it's not that. It's the same message of conflict that he's been having this whole movie. And that is, I want to be Peter Parker, but I have to be Spider-Man. And slowly he loses both. Because he's not being Peter Parker, he's not being his true self, and he's rejecting his identity of Spider-Man. And this one instance, as he emerges out of the rubble, he is Spider-Man. And that's why he gets Spider-Man, because he is Spider-Man. He didn't rise to become Peter, he rose and he's Spider-Man, and he accepts that. And in the end, she finds out he's Spider-Man, and he rejects her again. But she goes to his doorstep, and she tells him, not going to happen this time. You're gonna get. We're gonna be together. We're gonna get together. We're gonna be Spider-Man, Mary Jane, if we have to be. And Peter accepts it. So in this movie, he learns it's okay to have it all. It's okay to be the hero. It's okay to be the saver of the day. It's okay to have to have responsibilities. But it's also okay to open your heart. It's okay to fall in love. It's okay to have someone be your partner. Because we human beings, I think we have a tendency to reject people. And that's something we always do out of fear. And that's what he was doing. And in the end, he decides to take the leap and accept the relationship and just to be happy. Now, other aspects of what makes Spider-Man 2, the, one of the best comic movies of all time, besides the psychological toll, besides the external aspect of Spider-Man and Peter, it also has some of the best sceneries in comic movies ever. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Come on, that scene alone is a beautiful demonstration of, you know, he falls because he's because he, you know he doesn't have his glasses. He gets back up, and he does it with a smile. Because he's Peter again, or at least he's trying to convince himself. And you know, rant. That's iconic in its own way with all the memes and just go to YouTube, poop, and find all those funny videos. So in regards to this Raimi trilogy, the first two movies are, are incredibly superb in terms of quality. Now I will talk about the weakest of the three, and that's Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3 is everything that is good impacted by external you know, factors. Spider-Man 3 has amazing messages, but it's modeled in this overstuffed film that was squeezed the life out of. Sam Raimi had a distinct vision for Spider-Man 3 and studio told him, no, you have to do our vision. And so they, they, they arranged a terrible compromise. 
So Spider-Man 3, the one thing I take away from is it's human arrogance, human greed, human toxicity, self-improvement, forgiveness, redemption. When was the last time you saw a superhero movie delve into all these aspects? Human arrogance and greed are heavily shown through Spider-Man's own actions. As he's so into himself as Spider-Man and he loves the fan approval, the fan reaction, how they're all prioritizing him and greed for being Spider-Man. And the most obvious scene of that is when he kisses another woman for the newspapers or for the press or whatever, and Mary Jane is seeing this. And he had no regards and he had no appreciation for that. He had no conceptualization of what would this do to me in my relationship with this woman. Mary Jane, who was dealing with her own struggles in this film, she always wanted to be an actress as she left her minimum wage job as a waitress to pursue acting. She just got fired from play. And she tries to tell Peter, but Peter is so absorbed into his own web. See what I did? Web, get it? Web of arrogance that he's not willing to see what's troubling her. And that causes a rift, and it's a justifiable rift of anything. And so as he's exposed to the Venom symbiote, which is an alien life form that possesses people and unleashes their darkest and most inner selves out, and it's done to Peter, and Peter is showcasing a whole new side of him, emo Peter. And I don't care. I love that scene where he's dancing. I love the whole thing, and Sarah's why. Because that visualization of him dancing with the emo hair is what is cool to Peter Parker. So what's cool to him is not going to be cool to us because he's a nerd. He's a dork. So that's why I love that perception. And I, and I can thank What Culture for that. Adam Blumpier, thank you for that reference. Yes, I'll plug in as much as I can for other people who've inspired me to come out and do this. <laughs> so as the symbiote takes hold of Spider-Man and slowly killing the kindness and humanity in him, there's this one particular moment where he is engulfed by the idea of revenge and trying to get back at Mary Jane. Because as Harry takes a turn into a villain, Harry forced Mary Jane to break up with Peter. And she does, as he was about to propose. So it's heartbreaking. And Peter wants to get revenge. He wants to hurt her back. And so he brings this wonderful, sweet, kind woman and attempts to make her jealous. And that woman is used, and, and now she's self-loathing. Mary Jane is questioning, like, who the hell are you? You're not Peter Parker, at least not the Peter I knew. And Peter is just engulfed by it. And so the altercation happens with the security guard, and Peter lays his hand on Mary Jane, and he is shocked by it. He's shook. No matter what alien symbiote has him, Peter Parker can still feel pain. And then Peter decides to do one thing we human beings always want to do. We want to rip that toxicity within us out. We want to destroy it. We want to burn it so we can cleanse ourselves and be happy. And the luxury of being in a superhero film is that they can do that. So, super, so Spider-Man, I was going to say Superman, my apologies. Spider-Man rips the symbiote with utmost pain, and then he comes to terms with all his mistakes. And he has this wonderful, beautiful dialogue with Aunt May, where he tells her, I heard her. 
a man should be able to put his wife before himself, and I couldn't do that. So that addresses the selfish, selfless topic once more, but in a different manner. Whereas before it was about accepting your heroism and neglecting your personal life. Then it was about accepting you can have one, you can have both. It's not or either. Now it's about I can't. I failed at doing that. I can't even do that properly. So he goes back to basics, just being Spider-Man, not being Peter Parker, the boyfriend. And she tells him, you're a good man. Forgive yourself and things will fall into place. And that's a life lesson right there. I am someone who has been hurt and who has hurt people, unfortunately. I am someone who's been through that. And I had to live with that. And by doing that, it's a, it's a step-by-step recovery process. We have our dark days, we have our regressions, but when it counts, we step up and we become heroes in our own right. And that's what Spider-Man teaches you here. And by the end of it, as I already addressed the Harry-Norman comparison where Harry dies saving Peter Parker, he shows Peter, you can always find your way back. Because Harry, in the beginning of the film, wanted to kill Peter. Harry then threatened MJ. Harry then picked up a fight with Peter. Then Harry shows up to save Peter and then sacrifices himself. So Harry gets the hero's death that Norman didn't. Norman got a villain's death. Harry got the hero's death. He is not his father. We always have these fears that the sins of the father will carry with us, especially if you had bad parenting. But Harry showcases there is always a way to kindness and good. And Peter takes that lesson. And he, and by the end, he goes to Mary Jane, takes her hand, hugs her in the hand, they slow dance at the same club where he had that altercation with her and the security guards. So everything comes full circle. No matter how weak or how inferior the third movie is compared to the first two, it still holds those beautiful themes, these beautiful emotions that makes these movies unique. And the reason I bring up the, uh, these themes in this trilogy, it's rare to find them in today's landscape. You know, the more recent Spider-Man films have been entertaining, but they have nowhere near the thematical approaches that the Raimi trilogy have had, I should say. And with Sam Raimi now coming back to the MCU, I can only wish, you know, let's do something there. Let's do something there. I pray to God. So this was my first episode, and this was my first episode, my first attempt at a podcast, actually. I know I stuttered quite a bit. I know I faltered here and there. I promised to get better over time. I was just getting comfortable to the sound of my own voice and trying to be better at this. And if I were not, if I was not up to par, here I went again. If I was not up to par, then I apologize. I will get better. I promise you that. Any feedback, any criticism, any suggestions are all welcomed. I'm not going to cry about it. I am open to anything because who am I to dictate anything? This is my first attempt, and I hope it's a positive one. Thank you for this experience. Thank you for, hopefully, if you're listening, thank you for listening. And this is my very first episode, and it was the Spider-Man Sam Raimi trilogy, and hope to see you again soon.